The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. If you prefer to continue believing the history you were taught in school, stop this audio now and return to the official programming by the cultural editors. To explore a more plausible version of our past, stay with us. What we have been told about our history is not the truth, but instead carefully crafted lies that lead people down the wrong path in their search for knowledge. This deception has become the mainstream view of history, which was created to manage humanity's perception of what this world really is, and at the heart of it all, what humans really are. Are we entering the greatest revisionist period in modern times, and are we peeling the onion of the greatest lie about our common world history? The Tartary civilization encompassed most of the world we know today, from Russia, China, Africa, India, Australia, and New Zealand, to the North and South Americas. They have been swept from modern history books and were likely destroyed between the 19th and 20th centuries, along with many of the amazing buildings. The Bolshevik Revolution, World Wars I and II, and all subsequent wars could have been used to erase most remnants of our true past. There are numerous documents proving that there were also giants amongst us. The people of Tartary were destroyed by the same advanced technology that controls our weather today. They were flooded, firebombed, earthquaked, and likely had directed energy weapons used against them, and many of their bones are buried under our cities today. Their old world order was a benevolent society where they used sacred geometrical designs, pipe organs, and cotillion bells to help heal and to achieve higher consciousness and had a worldwide grid that obtained and transmitted energy from the ether. No wonder the A432 Hertz standard international tuning frequency was replaced with A440. All of the architecture and technology we know of today was developed by this civilization, which has been wiped out from our history books. The 18th and 19th centuries were final book burning and removal from historical knowledge of this once great civilization that flourished up until just 100 years ago. Have we been lied to? The historical period between 1851 and 1920 may be no exception. During that time, great expositions, world fairs, were built worldwide. Chicago, 1893, Paris, 1900, St. Louis, 1904, and San Francisco, 1915, just to name a few. These gigantic, up to 1,200-acre expos were built in impossible times of less than two years. Then, following the end of the event, they were purposely destroyed and thrown into landfills. Since when do we destroy all construction after the Olympics are over? Each of these fairs were built to resemble ancient Rome, and that seems to be no accident. But were the buildings of these world expositions newly constructed in the 1890s or older ones part of a civilization that was coexistent with ancient Rome and Greece and were simply restored and painted? What if the so-called gold rush was a lie and they were just uncovering buried cities under the mud? Too many questions and too little answers. That's why tonight's special guest is back. Get ready to see our world on our past with new eyes. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. 
To listen to tonight's full interview, and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button, at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And since tonight's special guest has already been on this program with two fascinating interviews, she does not require an introduction. You know her by now. Her website is piercingtheveilofillusion.com. She also has a growing YouTube channel. Just type Michelle Gibson, followed by the word Moors, M-O-O-R-S, and you should be able to find her there. Michelle Gibson joins us from Sedona, Arizona. Hello, Michelle, and welcome back. How are you? Hi, Mel. Thank you very much for the invitation. and I'm doing really well. Thanks. It's always a pleasure. And is it just me? Or once you fall into this rabbit hole of our true history, it just grabs you and it doesn't let go? And every time I find something new, I say to myself, I wonder what Michelle thinks about this. So it's been almost a year, I believe, since the last time you and I talked. You were with me last year twice. And I want to know some of the things that you have evolved into and what progression you've made into this ancient history or our true history, rather. Actually, quite a bit, Mel. And I agree with you on the rabbit hole scenario. I've been working hard at this for almost three years in June of this year, uh, which was when I started blogging in 2018. And once I, and I made one video, I was planning on making one video as my foundation piece and somebody subscribed and I thought, well, now I've got to start making videos. And I realized how easy it was to convert my blog posts into videos. So I have both the same information on each modality and you know, it's whatever you prefer, if you like to read or watch. But it's it's interesting because I feel like when you have a mission, the universe conspires to help you out. And because I've been delving into this intensively for so long, I know what to look for. I know where to look for it. And I always find what I'm looking for. And it's like the universe really wants this information to come back out. And it's something that I've been preparing for my whole life in the sense that it seems like every life experience I've had has helped me put this puzzle together. And with that background and the ability to interpret in the information that I receive in a format that makes sense, it's like I go deeper and deeper with it all the time. And, you know, thankfully, there's a lot of other researchers like myself that, you know, even have just started doing it within the last couple of years, like I have. And, you know, we're all kind of working at our different pieces of the puzzle and pinging off of each other and working hard on bringing this back to the light. And it needs to do so because what's taken place here on Earth should never have happened. Maybe there's a reason in the cosmic picture, 
that has been allowed to happen. All I know is that when I wrote you back about the content, my primary question is how did we arrive at the world we live in today where good is bad and bad is, or yeah, good is bad and bad is good, right? We're seeing that. Up is down and down is up. Lies are truth and truth are lies. And about half the population seems to be wide awake and the other half, many, many good people, you know, thinking people who would otherwise see it can't. How did we get here? Was cruelty, great suffering, degradation, racial and religious division our inherent nature and destiny? Or was humanity at one time highly advanced and then the whole order of society turned upside down, after which time we've been the subjects of a vast human and social engineering project? not for our best interest, but that of negative beings who want nothing but total power control over everything. And something that I always start out saying is I firmly believe there would be no mysteries in history if we had been told the true history. And my research has really led me down the road of, okay, what was the original civilization? How was it laid out? How advanced was it? What happened? How did we get here? And I've got answers to those questions. And that's what I'd like to share with you today. Absolutely. And I have a a lot more. I mean, I'm going to be jumping around with certain things because it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. Every time you and I probably bump into something, there's like a huge wall. And we drop these little pieces, pieces, and you start seeing clearly, although I'm not there yet. But for example, the so-called great fires if I go to New Orleans or Chicago or, or Boston or San Francisco and I get a city tour, invariably, Michelle, almost even in Europe, they always talk about the great fire of such and such time that, you know, burned 2,000 buildings. And it's, it's a story that repeats itself no matter where you go. So there's so-called fires. Was it fires or is it something else on a planet-wide scale that, that the pictures I've seen really do not show the aftermath of a fire or melting of buildings. I mean, you know, we have melting of buildings. They're compatible with Hiroshima, Nagasaki, you know, Dresden, Germany, for example. What do you say about that? I did a about a four-part series poking into historical fires. And absolutely, there's something else going on on a couple of different levels. One, depending on when the fire took place, like was it before or what? or at least what we're told before the advent of photography, the the fire is depicted as an illustration. And then after a period of time, say let's just to be arbitrary, say like after 1900 and the, the fire and earthquake of San Francisco and you know some of the other more famous ones where it looks like a, you know, a nuclear bomb hit afterwards. Um, but you actually see photographs of it. I think in both cases, they're being used as, as covers whether a, a literary device uh, or an artistic device in the case of the illustrations, um, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Or in the case of the apocalyptic scenes of San Francisco, um, you know, something happened. And the one in San Francisco in 1906, besides the earthquake, which happened right before as being listed as a possible cause, it's also known as the ham and eggs fire. And a housewife was cooking breakfast and started this horrific fire. Okay, so there's there's a couple of different avenues on that one. 
And I researched it quite extensively, I think about a year ago. But so it's either a cover to say, well, all the buildings here were all wooden and they burned up and they were replaced by these masonry buildings is one. Two is just to destroy the original masonry buildings completely. Um, and I think that's a lot of what's going on is they, they, the negative beings behind this, and I'll go into this a little bit as to who I think we're talking about, hate humanity. They, they build on the infrastructure where they can. They preserve it in many cases. But this was all part of a, a free energy generating earth, earth grid system that was all over the world. Each piece of infrastructure, whatever it was, a building, tall building with um, Antiquitech on the top, like you know what you would call a lightning rod. Um, these were all over the place. Electric streetcars, sophisticated system all over the place, not just in isolated places. It was all connected. It was all positive, generating free energy, all connected, rail systems, all rail systems, subways, streetcars, um, railroads, all connected, built by the original civilization. And what I've come to believe is that there was some kind of liquefaction event that took place that I believe was deliberately caused. There's different opinions on what caused that cataclysm. Um, you know, could it have been frequency sound weapons? Could it have been, you know, something coming from space? Um, could it have taken place at different periods of time within a, a, a finite time frame? All of these things seem there's there's historic photographs of of places that are covered in mud and being dug out. Um, and that's something that I'm going to review also in this interview. And well, that humanity was actually very advanced. So to answer my initial question, how did we get here? We're, was this just going to be our destiny? Like, no, absolutely not. And I want to get to I've, that later, too, because lately I've been seeing a lot, a lot of pictures where you should you see these. Let's call it impossible. Can we say impossible architecture based on what we can build today? I don't think we can build that. I mean, a door that's 40 feet tall, multi-ton stuff. If you ever put a door in a frame, you know how difficult it is. Maybe if it's twice our size, right? But these are like 10, 20 times us. And look, since this is radio, we have to give the, the listeners just one example. A listener, you know, a mental picture so they can visualize what we're saying. I recently saw a photograph, Michelle, of 1860 of the Sydney Observatory. We're told the observatory mm -hmm. was built in 1858. But when you see the, the photo, you can really see how weathered the structure is. Did buildings weather faster in the 19th century? I don't think so. And there are examples of observatories like Sydney all over the earth, still standing. Um, the ancient civilization, they were master astronomers, master builders, master hydrologists, knew where they were in time and space, knew why they were here. And um, a little bit for those who aren't familiar with my work, my original research on this topic began in 2016 after I found a star tetrahedron on the North American continent by connecting the dots of major cities and extending the lines out. So a star tetrahedron is like the Merkaba or the Star of David on the, the flag of Israel. And the, the upper triangle apex is in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And then the bottom 
apexes in Merida, Mexico. So you can draw a straight line between Edmonton and Merida. And it goes through Denver. I think it goes right through the Denver airport, um, goes right through the Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth area, goes right through Houston, Texas. Um, you know, Houston Space Center is, is on it. Um, there's actually an, an Oklahoma spaceport that's pretty much on it. Are you still there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wasn't okay. sure if you took a pause or if I can jump in. Which? Sure. Okay. So, again, I'm going to be jumping with different things. I see a lot of pictures, too, of what looks like a fireplace. But I never see fireplace logs in any of these images. Imagine you go into someone's house, someone's home or a building, and you see this, what looks to be a fireplace, but there's nothing there. Usually they have two two metal rods in front of them. What is that, Michelle? I've seen those pictures and I've seen researchers looking into that kind of thing. And there was some kind of advanced tech going on with these old buildings that when this takeover happened, they turned them into fireplaces. We needed to warm up somehow. They were there. Um, but you know, like you say, there's that kind of evidence and just that there's a lot more going on and that when the reset took place and when society was restarted or civilization was restarted, let's say, they they had to make whatever was available work for what was needed. And um, a favorite example of mine is like with um, streetcars. So around the 1850s, you see a lot of streetcars being pulled by mules in cities. And then somewhere around, you know, between, let's say, the 1870s and the 1890s, they started to get electrified. And so the, the scientists of the day that, that we learn about, the ones that are behind this um, amazing technology, we're told, um, I think they were figuring out how to re-electrify the streetcars. They got the streetcars re-electrified and running, I, I would say probably from what I can see in, in major cities. But these streetcars used to be everywhere, suburbs, you name it. It wasn't one particular place. And then by the time that Henry Ford invented the, the whole assembly line concept of building cars for the roll out of the Model Ts for everybody to buy, and the development of uh, buses and so forth, these streetcar lines started to be retired within 25 to 30 years after Ford did his thing with mass transportation. So from that point on, streetcars were, were out, except in a very, very few places. So if you want to believe the history that we're told, that somehow they put in all of this effort to to build these streetcar lines. And then, you know, so it, with technology, what technology do they have in the, you know, mid to late 1800s to be able to do this in the first place? And the same thing with a lot of other things. They're going to go through the effort of putting them in and then start tearing them out within 50 years. You know, and it just seems like they they wanted them gone so they could, corner the market on automobiles and gasoline and make us dependent on fuel. And, you know, you have to pay somebody for it instead of these streetcar systems that 
probably more than likely were, were run by free energy. And I give that example because I know that better than the fireplace example. But I think that's what was going on is the uh, what became the controllers of the earth, the ones that took everything over, had to make things function in order to to rebuild this new world, this new society that they ingrained themselves in from the beginning of this reset so that they could take everything over, which they did. That's what we're extricating ourselves from now is they got into every aspect of society and they've been, you know, bringing in money hand over fist. That's why they're so rich. And I want to discuss that later, the part about building something to destroy it later. That's the example of the World Expos. But I knew I forgot to say something. I, I meant to say the impossible architecture. I've seen so many incredible images, you know, a city and you see this statue, you can only see the foot of the statue and the people are next to it, maybe reaching the ankle of the statue. Incredible. But you see these massive buildings with massive doorways and maybe you see one person walking the street or two. You would think that by having so many of these buildings. Mel? Yes. Can you hear me? I lost you. Are you can you hear me? No, there you are. No, okay. I can hear you. All right. Mm, not sure. But I don't know if you got what I was saying, that you see these massive buildings on and streets, but the streets are totally empty. You would think the streets would be bustling with people. Why do you think that is? There was a reset. You can find pictures of Paris like that. You can find pictures of Athens like that. St. Petersburg in Russia. Those are the ones that come to the top of my head. Right. Um you know, massive buildings, hardly anybody in the streets. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, have collected those pictures to, just to say what, you know, what's going on here. It's like there's there's something staged. And that's that's another thing. I find these really spooky looking pictures with these guys with with bowler hats on. And just each photo I found like that, it's like it's being staged for some reason, like they're they're doing something. They want to show it off. It's not clear what they're doing, but the the positioning of people and everything is the same. And I, I just call them spooky pictures because they are, you know, it's just it's just really strange. So um, just a little bit of follow up on how I got to where I am with it is that after I found the star tetrahedron, I extended lines out and in primary, primarily linear and circular fashion. And I got an amazing tour of the world of places I'd never heard of with remarkable similarities across countries. And as a result of doing the research on these alignments, what unfolded was the story of an advanced unified worldwide civilization. And then what happened to it, who did it and how it was done is what unfolded in front of me. And um, there's a lot of underground infrastructure and what you're talking about with the impossibly big, huge buildings, masonry buildings, solid buildings, is that they go on for stories underground. And that's another thing that comes out in from different researchers and in different places is there's a whole underground world beneath us that, you know, could it have been the result of this mud flood cataclysm that so many researchers are looking at, um, you know, very possibly. And then we just see part of what was at, it was actually there. And I think this cataclysm wiped out most of the surface population, but there's places, like I said, underground that people could have lived 
including original people as well as the beings that are responsible for this and that enough of they were there until enough of the original infrastructure was dug out to restart civilization. But the question is, the question, all these people that, that some of the pictures I see, you see this massive buildings, beautiful, ornate, but then you see like a soup kitchen. Some people might say, well, well, that could have been a, a depression in the 1980s financially, but it's almost like they were introduced. They were taken there to repopulate. That's just a theory, right? Just, just remove that. our suspension of disbelief for a moment. If it's true Absolutely. that these people were reintroduced, we've heard about the orphan trains. Where did they come from? That's a good question. And I have done research on the orphan trains, on charitable aid organizations, on um, immigration, and what we're told about immigration. Uh, basically, I think the 19th century was an absolute mess in terms of what was going on for humanity during that time. There were there was an explosion of parentless children, and there was an explosion of alcohol and drugs available to, let's say, the parents, but to everybody. Okay, so it, it kind of depends on what was going on. There could have been um, nurseries to repopulate the earth. Uh, I believe it started around the 1830s because that's when all of these other things started coming in, like I was talking about the charitable aid organizations. Um, and it was like the the elites of the time, you know, the ones that were coming in to take everything over had all of these these babies and these young people and they needed to do something with them. Um, and, and the older population as well, putting them in asylums of all kinds, besides insane asylums, um, for young people, for old people, for babies, um, you name it. There were these institutional um, settings for this mass of humanity that needed to be cared for. And I see that as problematic and a red flag. And then with when you talk about the orphan trains, which started around 1854, going out with no vetting, nothing for about 75 years, sending children that if they found a good home, it was lucky. The rest of it, you know, they would have, um, they would go to the, like the theater or, or whatever in a town and they would just stand up there kind of being paraded in front of the public. And I see that as early child trafficking. That's really the only way I can interpret what was going on. because it sounds an awful lot like what's going on now. You just you know, read my mind. These homeless children. What happened at the the border? What allegedly may have happened with this evergreen mm -hmm. ship in the Suez Canal? I mean, who who knows, right? But when you look at this, his, the history of part of the orphan trains, then the question is, what happened to their parents? Either they didn't have any to begin with, or maybe the, the kids were, you know, given to to this effort. It was started by Charles Loring Brace. It was supported by elite families like the Astors. Um, so you're, you're starting to get into the 13 bloodline names when you start peeling back the onion on, on this whole thing. Um, my belief is that negative beings were behind all of this and have executed and implemented an elaborate multi-generational plan. And it's comprised of like fallen angels, reptilians, archons, other negative extraterrestrial races with a negative agenda 
towards humanity, creator and creation, and they've all been in, interfering on Earth. And a lot of the stuff that I have to cover will actually absolutely point a finger that, you know, I think World War Three started 40 years ago and it's been against humanity. And I just did a great deal of research. I started a series uh, called Look, uh, Seeing the World with New Eyes since 1945. And I've looked at 1945 to 1960, 1961 to 1980. I just finished 1981 to 2000, and I want to go through that because I graduated from high school in 1981. All hell broke loose in 1981, and it hasn't stopped. And I'm talking airplane crashes, hijacking, suicide bombings, uh, shipwrecks, bombs, you name it. And it's been against innocent people. And I think this has all been to traumatize us and terrorize us and that it's not normal at all. That, you know, this isn't, this isn't just humanity. There's something going on to, um, to fund this, to create this, to create this terror. And that's part of the equation, I think, as to how we got to this, this place where we are now. I think we're seeing it unfold with what, what the end game was. And it's, it's not good for humanity, but what's good is that we're waking up. It's interesting you know? you're saying all of this. I was in eighth grade in 1981, and we had a teacher who always said, we have to bring the Sunday paper so we can discuss it on Monday. And I remember the amount of turmoil around the world. And I used to be a curious kid. I used to read the newspaper all the time. But that particular year, now that you said that, I never registered. Like, why so many turmoils and hijackings and the Middle East all of a sudden becomes a prevalent thing for wars. But be before we continue, I remember our first interview. You mentioned the Moors were all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask mm -hmm. you, was Tartaria really the Ottoman Empire? It was in that part of the world. So the, uh, the Moorish civilization refers to ancient Lemuria. So this is an ancient civilization. And everything that I'm seeing points towards what I'm going to say was the fact that humanity was on a very positive timeline, um, co-creating actively to create what I would say is a paradise. And that the, the poem by John Milton called Paradise Lost was just that. Earth was a paradise. And these um, jealous, let's say fallen angels, because that's what it talks about in the book, but I think it's a bigger adversary than that. But, you know, that's what I think is happening. It's an early form of predictive programming telling us what's going on. You know, Satan and his fallen angels getting together and hatching a plot to, um, I'm trying to think of the, the word that I remember seeing, but basically to uh, contaminate <laughs> God's most favorite, favored creation, which was mankind, you know, to get in there and mess everything up. And, you know, again, how did we get to where we are now? How did we fall so far in our consciousness? Um, and I, you know, I definitely think it's been a long-term plan. And when I say that, I don't mean thousands of years. Maybe the plan was that long in the making, but I, I think the playing out of it is much more recent than that. Because we're still using the infrastructure this this ancient civilization built. I mean, everything was in harmony and in alignment with heaven and earth. And, you know, they were masters of sacred geometry and, and everything fit together. And even amusement parks, 
this, what, they're, what is called trolley parks back around the turn of the century in the United States. These amusement parks are at the end of trolley lines. I don't believe the people that said they built the trolleys built them. I think they were taking credit for them. And then these, these amusement parks were there. So did the original civilization build the amusement parks as well? And I, I do believe they did. And you talk about fires, not you know, when we started, a lot of these trolley parks were just either ended in fire or they were demolished or they were abandoned. And I'm, I see them as integral parts of this whole system that was built by the ancient civilization. And by the way, I use the term Tartaria just to label it because mm -hmm. a lot of people are into this now, but it could be any name that could have been true. But were Tartarian cities here before colonization? And if so, was the story, if that is true, that we had all these buildings, and even I saw a picture the other day of Washington, D.C., and the Lincoln Memorial surrounded by just grass. Like if there's nothing else there before, and the people around it look all poor. So if that was it, and there were buildings here before the colonizers, was the colonization story, or the conquistadors, story. Was that made up then? I seriously question everything that we've been taught. I, I really do. I mean, I think from a certain point on, they're teaching us their history and what they want us to know. Um, and I, just to give you an example, I did a, a piece on centuries of exploration and I started with Prince Henry, Henry the Navigator, Portuguese explorer from let's say the 1400s, because I think that's the time frame that he was in. And when I was looking up information about him, it said, you know, there was really nothing from when he was alive and nobody really thought much about him for like 300 years. And then in the 19th century, there were two books written about him by German authors and two books written about him by English authors. And, and so I think that's what we're talking about in a lot of the history that we've been taught that I think a lot of the people that we know from in our history classes were actually fabricated and backfill to explain everything. Because I think the, the real story is this Tartarian civilization is better known as to Tartarian, but the Tartarians were Moors, the barbarians were Moors, the Washita were Moors, the Persians were Moors, Um, and, and when I say more, more is Lemurian, Mu, going far back in time, and it also ties into the tribes of Israel. It's all connected, and we've been taught it's all separate, but it, it's not. It's all connected, and it gets really, really confusing because of the hatchet job that was done to erase this original history and then create a new history to put on top of it to explain everything. So with these buildings that you're talking about, you can look it up. There's an architectural firm. There's a date. There's a date engraved on a cornerstone. Um, there's blueprints or whatever, making it look like, you know, this is who did it. But when you look at the quality of the, the building, the size, <laughs> the columns, you know, the Greek columns, you know, Doric, Corinthian, um, in many cases being huge. You think of uh, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial. 
what they tell us, and I'll give you the example of the Lincoln Memorial because I know the dates off the top of my head. They tell us the Lincoln Memorial was built between 1914 and 1922. That's a story. 1914 was the beginning of World War I. And there's countless examples like that. If you look at um, you know, state buildings, state legislatures, uh, courthouses, county courthouses, beautiful architecture, columns, you know, how were we building this stuff with the technology we're told we had at the time? And that's a question I ask myself all the time when I do these research. It just, it doesn't add up. And I welcome, I welcome builders. I, work in, I welcome architecture, architects from today's world to please, please write to me. Tell me how you would create even a fraction of these buildings. And sometimes I wonder, with World War I and World War II, if in reality the reason for those wars, and we know what we've been told, but what if that was also to erase some of this history and to mm -hmm. just bump the hell out of these buildings to the smithereens so we are told, oh, you know, th there was a building here before. But nobody would know 50, 100 years later. That's exactly what I see, Mel, in my research. The, the big world wars, the, you know, Vietnam, Laos. I don't know how many people know that Laos is per capita the most bombed country in history. <laughs> I didn't know that. Laos. <laughs> right next to Vietnam. Cambodia, yeah. Yeah, so the story is um, the Americans came over because of Pathet Lao communist forces that were operating out of Laos early in the Vietnam War. And so they came over and they perpetually bombed that little country, um, especially the Plain of Jars, which has uh, massive stone jars. They look like jars. You know, who knows what they were used for? Um, why? Other than to destroy this original civilization. It's interesting you're saying this, Michelle. I think that's Michelle. what was really going on. Yeah, it's interesting you're saying this, Michelle, because the very first guest that I had on this program was a a professor who was a an Air Force pilot who went to Vietnam several tours there. And he told me that what really disappointed him, and that's why he was very disappointed after leaving the military, that when he was there, he knew where he needed to go. They could have won that war in a week. But he would go out there. His missions were to bomb certain things that had absolutely nothing to do with the war. And now what you're saying it could be that all this ordinance was deployed and dropped into s certain places to erase. Because if you see, I mean, not, not only Vietnam, but Angkor Wat in certain areas mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia, there was just incredible structures there. So it seems that the common denominator in all these wars is to just eradicate all that stuff. I mean, even we can speculate about mm -hmm. Iraq and supposedly they had a, mm -hmm. a lot of ancient technology there, there of Stargate and even the coast of Yemen is patrolled by many, many military of the world because under, under the sea, there's something really strange there. Your take on that. Oh, totally. I mean, I think, like I said, that humanity was very advanced. The civilization was very advanced. The timeline, the timeline that we were on was hijacked by very negative beings with a control and power agenda against humanity. And they have just done a number on us, confused us, divided us, 
They hate the original civilization, but they profit off of it enormously. So they keep as much of it as they need for their own wealth. They destroy a lot of it, but they they hate humanity and do not care about human life whatsoever. And that's that's why it's so difficult. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Angkor Wat because I made some notes here. I was talking about the world history investigation that I've done. And Cambodia in the 1970s is known for the killing fields. And that was after the Khmer Rouge came in. And I think this was during the Vietnam War time. Right. They deposed the hereditary ruler of Cambodia, Prince Sihanouk. And... Not long after, the Khmer Rouge under Pol Pot came in. And what happened? Millions died. And that's a glaring example, but there are many others of the same kind of genocide taking place, especially against the the ancient humans, you know, parts of this ancient civilization. And they th- these uh, controllers don't want that. They want they they want people that they can control. They want people in in their image and not people who glorify God. And and so, you know, this twisted agenda, you know, the things that you see with transhumanism and transgenderism and, you know, like I said, truth is a lie and lie is truth. Um, You know, how can you call people burning cities down as peaceful protesters? How can you do that and have people believe it? Good people, because the the mainstream news is so propagandized to support this negative agenda. How are people seeing that and, you know, seeing what's been going on in the last year and, <laughs> and think it's justified? You know, it's just it's just mind blowing the level of, of programming and brainwashing that's taken place. You know, good people that would normally would notice that something was going on, something was wrong here. But that's the level to which this has been going on. And, and like I said, since the year I graduated high school in 1981, I, I lived through the stuff they're talking about. And, you know, just, I'm, I'm just going to give you a, short, <laughs> a little read through here because that was the year that, so Reagan took oath as the 40th president and with, Within minutes of his inauguration, the Iranian hostages were released after 14 months and 444 days of captivity from the 79 revolution. Within two months, there was an assassination attempt on Reagan's life. And that's another story. When you mm-hmm. look to see who was the one who tried to kill Reagan, his, the, <laughs> the brother of that individual was having dinner with Bush's son, Marvin, the night before. So it was John Hinckley Jr. John Hinckley Jr. And uh, his father was one of the biggest contributors of the Bush campaign. And uh, Hinckley's brother was having dinner with Marvin Bush the night before. So that's another show right on its own. Mm-hmm. By May, there was an assassination attempt on Pope John Paul I's life. Yep. Then in June, the first cases of AIDS were recognized. Um, the AIDS virus is a retrovirus that inserts a copy of its RNA genome into the DNA of its host cell 
and interferes with the person's immune system. So this is early in 81 or by mid 81. I don't mean to continue interjecting, but what you just said sounds like the mRNA vaccine that people are, it's not even a vaccine, it's just gene, gene therapy where people are being voluntarily taking. Exactly. And, and I remember this, you know, it was said to originate from monkeys in West Central Africa. And that sounds like bats in China 40 years later. Yeah. And they're trying to say it came from another species. Um, the first PC that IBM put on the market in the United States was released in 1981. Anwar Sadat was assassinated in October. Um, there was a gas explosion in a coal mine in October in Japan. And then another explosion in a coal mine in Tennessee in December. In November of 81, there was a Yugoslavian charter flight that crashed into a mountain peak in Corsica, killing everybody. And that was just the beginning. Um, there was a genocide in El Salvador, where a Salvadoran army unit killed 900 civilians in December, the uh, El Mazote massacre. Um, beginning in 1982, the Commodore 64 8-bit home computer came out. Um, Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the 14th Street Bridge. On January 13th, on the same day, a Washington Metro subway train derailed, killing three. Four Thunderbird aircraft in a demonstration squadron crashed in January in Nevada. The first computer virus came out in uh, January of 82 from a 15-year-old Rick Screnta who became a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Um, Japan, Japan Airlines Flight 350 crashed in Tokyo Bay. Uh, I'm, I'm just giving these examples because this is just the beginning of an hour and a almost hour and a half long video. The Ocean Ranger oil platform sunk during a storm off the coast of Newfoundland, killing all 84 workers on it. The Falklands War started. Um, the Lebanese War started. Another plane crash, another plane crash. <laughs> Terror bombs start in Ireland. This the Tylenol thing was happening in 82. Oh, the, the poisoning. The Tylenol yeah. murders. Um, I mean, it's just unreal what started happening around 1981. And, and it hasn't stopped since. Um, environmental disasters, terrorist attacks, suicide bombings started in, uh, I want to say, I mean, pull it up here, 1983. Um, the U.S. Embassy bombing in Beirut took place. And it was a suicide bombing. And the source that I was looking at said between 1981 and 2015, over 4,800 suicide attacks occurred in over 40 countries, killing about 45,000 people. And it said from the 1980s, it went from three per year to one per month in the 1990s to one per week between 2001 and 2003, and roughly one per day between 2003 and 2015. Um, and I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And we didn't know about false flags back then. I don't I don't think I ever heard the term probably until I started waking up to this stuff around 2012 was the first time I heard the term. No, but that and, has been around in history for, for a long, long time. It's just that we only remember maybe the Lusitania, uh, the main of mm -hmm. uh, 9-11 and so many. I mean, Pearl Harbor wasn't even one. Not that it happened, yeah. not that we created it, but there's a story behind it that we knew for two weeks. And the reason why 
Japan came to attack us was because we were embargoing their oil and they were just dying. So they had to come and do something. So we've been traumatized and terrorized in this world we live in. And I don't think for a moment that were there not massive interference going on, that we would be in a far different world. You know, it, it takes this kind of manipulation to get us to be in fear all the time and, and hate each other and, you know, blame each other. It doesn't happen on its own. But Michelle, you see, and I know it's difficult for those who are listening, but I just want you to put a picture. But if you are close to your computer, or you have a phone and you want to see what we're discussing here, I'm going to give you two examples. Just type Google. Sometimes they just, it's a good thing that you can get uh, images from them. But go to Google Images and type Chicago World Expo 1893. And you will see, get ready to be amazed because it almost looks like we're in the middle of the Roman Empire. And at the same time, let me read this. What would they build, Michelle, these magnificent structures and everything you see on that picture? They built allegedly one or two years before, and immediately after, they demolished them. It's like countries today that, that build multi-million dollar stadiums and arenas in preparation for the Olympics. Do they demolish them? No. They keep them and use them. Then why is that, Michelle? They used the World Fairs to showcase the original civilization and the technology, and then they, they got rid of it. They kept a few buildings, like the, I think there's a museum in Chicago that was part of the so-called, you know, the so-called part of the World's Fair. Um, I think they were using these expositions and expositions to expositions and exhibitions and World's Fair to paint a picture of our history in people's minds. And, you know, for example, um, I'm looking here. I'm going to refer to the clip that you mentioned when you got in touch with me about the St. Louis World's Fair. <laughs> that was my next question. Go ahead. Okay. So a commenter on my YouTube channel drew my attention to the ending scene of the 1944 musical Meet Me in St. Louis starring Judy Garland. So it was made in the 1944-1945 time period. I never saw the musical. For some reason, I, I liked other ones like Sound of Music and South Pacific, but I never saw this one. And um, besides the fact that a musical like this was made during wartime, in the very last scenes of the movie, the cast of characters were at the St. Louis World's Fair enjoying the sights and sounds and cotton candy of the fair together. And then out of absolutely nowhere, with no context for it, the little girl who was the youngest member of the group in a very strange outburst talked about big waves that flooded, flooded the city of Galveston and when the water went back, it was muddy and full of dead bodies. And then I found out what the context was when I was putting together a video slideshow from photocopies a viewer had sent me of a book he had purchased about the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. So there was a Galveston flood exhibit there. Um, There's also a permanent one at Coney Island. Um, and in different places, they wanted people to see this flood. And so it was staged um, with miniatures that were combined with murals to create a realistic look. Um, there were boats and trains in Galveston. The sun was shining. Electric cars passed through the streets. And then all was calm. 
Then the clouds gathered, the wind and rain came in, bombarded the city. There was dramatic narration, water lighting, special effects. And then all of a sudden, the city was in ruins after the enormous power of Mother Nature. Um, and then it didn't end on a sad note. There was a better and brighter new Galveston depicted for the audience, rebuilt by American resources. So at the very end of Meet Me in St. Louis, back to the ending scene, when the buildings of the World's Fair were lit up, here were some of the things that were said by different characters. Never been anything like it in the whole world about the World's Fair setup. We don't have to come here on a train or stay in a hotel. It's right here in our own hometown. Grandpa, they'll never tear it down, will they? Well, they better not, is what he replied. And then it ended with, I can't believe it, right here where we live, right here in St. Louis. So the media of cinematography and music were powerfully utilized to shape the narrative in the minds of the collective. And they're a vehicle for soft disclosure without the public's knowledge that information is being disclosed within it. So in this case, the advanced civilization that was everywhere, literally, in our own hometowns, and it's the case with world fairs, they were showcasing the technology and architectural wonders of the original civilization before being hidden away or forever destroyed. So, you know, so there's a lot of predictive programming going on. They, they Technically, they have to tell us, according to universal law, what they're doing, but they get around that by not telling us they're telling us. Um, and then that led me into a whole deep dive on the Galveston hurricane and flood and you know, just finding things there that are anomalous and about the history that we're taught. But why was that fair or expo named the Louisiana Purchase Exposition? I believe because it would have been an anniversary. And they did that a lot. It was the anniversary of something. So the uh, Louisiana Purchase, um, that was between the Lewis and Clark Exposition Um Okay, so the start was 1803 of the Louisiana Purchase. Oh, okay. So it, it would have 100 years, the centenary. coincided with, with that. Right. And, and again, this is a device that, um, that was used to plant a new narrative in everybody's minds about history. It was the 100th anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase, yes. Mm -hmm. And then there was a Lewis and Clark exposition in, let's go here real quick. On the date, place in Portland, Oregon. I wish it was Portland or maybe Seattle. Anyway, Lewis and Clark Exposition. Another thing where they're they're just you know continually reinforcing this narrative that they want us to believe about our history. And I I have really done a lot of research around this topic to show why a lot more questions and answers about what was really going on. Well, there's a flip side to every story. You're saying that, and I agree that I think they were just telling us, I mean, the Crystal Palace and the rest of it, tell, showing us, displaying, showcasing what we had in the past. But what if world fairs were falsities and tools of indoctrination to program the population of what was coming in the next, say, 150 years? I mean, I remember I went to one and obviously, you cannot even compare to when I see these pictures of Chicago and St. Louis. It was 1984 in New Orleans. And I was perplexed because I love technology. And at the time, 
they showed AT&T, for example. They showed a, a, a computer. They showed how you, in the future, are going to be talking to people on the computer and doing ev- all your purchases online. And that, to me, as a kid, is like, wow, this is your Jetson stuff. But it was telling us what was coming. Could it be that the same thing they were planning before of what was coming, but in a nefarious way? That's what I'm seeing, something along those lines. I, I was just looking up the Lewis and Clark at Centennial Exposition was June 1st of 1905 in Portland, Oregon. Um, but again, it was more of the same. And another piece of the human repopulation puzzle or something else going on was, have you heard of infantoriums? Infantoriums, no. Do you know what do you know what that would would be? Doesn't sound doesn't sound good. No, not. So, basically, starting in the late 1800s and going until about 1942, which actually coincides with the rise of Planned Parenthood. <sighs> I'm looking. Babies at it. in newborn babies or premature babies in incubators were sideshow attractions. At these fairs, fairs, exhibitions. Um, there was one in St. Louis. There was one in um, the Lewis and Clark. Um, I think there was a permanent one at Coney Island. And it was a slideshow, a sideshow. And what we're told is that um, it was healthcare for these premature babies, that they weren't able to accommodate them in hospitals. So this Dr. Lewis Cooney, I believe his name was. Uh, I want to say he was an Austrian, some kind of doctor. There's questions whether he was a real doctor or not. More like a sideshow. Anyway, those kinds of things were going on. And you'll see pictures if you Google infantorium of these rows of incubators with, you know, people dressed up maybe as nurses or some kind of personnel standing around. But what what was going on with that? And I speculate nothing good, like you said. I'm looking at pictures here. See, that's why I love talking to you, because you bring these subjects up that I have never heard before, and you go and look on the internet and you see the pictures, and you're right. It's, was that the advent of the baby incubator also coinciding with it? It was. It was coincidental with it. Yeah, you know, and I don't really go into the dark side of things too much because that's really not what. I'm focused on, I'm, I'm more interested in bringing out this original civilization. Um, and now the history to bring us where we are now. Um, but, um, there's been a lot of targeting of, of children by these negative forces. Um, there's something about, about children and, and I think the terror of the innocence that they thrive on energetically. And, um, I, I know more than I'm saying, but <laughs> it, I, it, this is this is crazy kind of stuff. So we're told we come from mud, a primitive lifestyle, to ape, to the techno-slave nation that we're in today. And we've become a disposable society because we're so fragmented. Because in the past, obviously, you see the doors, the triptych doors all over the world. And I don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that at one point... We must have been connected. And this story of Christopher Columbus, whether it happened or it didn't, it was fragmented. It was fractured with a lot of BS. Because 
according to urban legend or native lore, a lot of these people had gifts that were given to them by Vikings and by by Chinese that made it all the way here. And I believe, if, I, if my memory serves me, that at one point there was a Chinese emperor who found out that the ships made it all the way here and he burned the fleet. Have you heard that story? I've heard the story. I think it was in that same 1492 time frame. Um, I actually read a book about it years and years ago before I woke up. No, um, what would that Chinese be? Emperors. Was what, that it? What would that be? Yes, correct. But why would that be? Um, to avoid them to go and find other lands? You know, again, I, I don't really know. I, I see this original civilization as being very benevolent and positive. I don't think the degree of sophistication and integration of the infrastructure around the world would have been possible if people were fighting each other all the time. So I think I think there's a very different narrative that's pushed about um, humans being at war with each other and, and so on and so forth, because I, I think that's just to further the whole idea that we're warlike by nature, which I personally don't believe in my spiritual orientation. I, I think we're inherently good and gifted and um, and love and that we had to be seriously uh, manipulated in what we're, we're raised to believe from birth, conditioned to believe from birth to get us to this point of fragmentation and separation and fear. Um, and, I, and I absolutely believe it's been done deliberately. This is all just it's not incredible. Our, it's not who we are. No, absolutely not. And from day one, I said, there's a history that has been hidden from us. All the stories of the Library of Alexandria being burned. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Maybe somebody sequestered the information. But somebody, someone on this planet or plane knows the truth, and it's being hidden from us to their advantage. And we have to take a one and only break. When we come back, I want to go deeper. I want to discuss who was responsible for creating the new world from the old world. And also, giants. This is something that appears almost in every ancient book. And we talk about dinosaurs, we talk about giant lizards, but nowhere do we talk about giants. And if you look at the architecture or the impossible architecture, if you had to look at it from a first perspective, if you asked a child that they didn't know anything about history and you showed them those buildings and the steps, the giant steps that you see all over the world, I bet you the child would say, those were made for giants. But of course, the cultural editors want to delete that from our psyche. How can people learn more about your work? Michelle, I have to congratulate you. I knew it the first time we talked that you were going to be known. Your YouTube channel is growing. Now you are an educator on a platform. So why don't you tell us more about that too before we break? Okay, I'd love to. I was invited to be an educator and a publisher on a brand new intentional private membership association website called unguruyourlife.com. That's un-U-N-G-U-R-U-Y-O-U-R, life, L-I-F-E.com. And I have exclusive content and special, um, special interviews on that website already, as well as a social media group. And I offer three courses right now in sacred geometry, and I have plans for more courses in the future. 
Uh, right now, the site is being loaded with new educators and it's down for maintenance, but it will be up in like next week on April 15th is the launch of what's called phase two. Um, so that's one place to find me. And then Patreon, I have uh, patreon.com forward slash piercing the veil of illusion. And I was just a presenter at the 2021 Human Origins Conference, which was an online three-day conference and it was wonderful. I've got an interview coming up from that. And I've talked about the same things, a lot of the same things I'm talking about now. Well, wonderful. This is scratching the surface every time we scratch more and more. It's a huge onion and you cannot expect that in one year you'll just get to the bottom of it. This is how sophisticated this deletion or editing of our true history is taking place right now. I'm here with Michelle Gibson, delighted to have her back again, and we have so much more in the next hour. This is Mel Hostelrick, and you're listening to Veritas. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.